Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guests today, Johannes Schön and Florian Hopfensperger, aka Bernie, grew up in different parts of Germany. After both working in the skateboarding industry for a few years, Johannes in marketing and Bernie as a photographer, they decided to join forces and launch their own platform in 2017 and called it Pocket Skate Mag. Six years later, Pocket has become one of the most productive media in skateboarding, producing amazing daily content for Instagram and YouTube and also printing at least two books a year. I had the opportunity to sit down for a nice chat with both of them early March 2023 to discuss all things Pocket Skate Mag. So here's my conversation with Johannes and Bernie. I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you guys. Thanks again so much for uh, doing this interview. Uh, I've been a big fan of Pocket for uh, a while now. So yeah, I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> wow. Nice, yeah. Yeah, so I, I usually start the interviews the same way with every guest and just talk about how, you know, the guests started skating. So you two grew up in Germany and you're still living there, but in different areas. So yeah, I was wondering if you could tell me exactly where you live, where you grew up and afterwards, like how you first met and everything. Who wants to go first? Johannes, start over. I should go first, okay. <laughs> so right now I'm living in Wiesbaden, city close to Frankfurt, in the Frankfurt area, I would say. But I grew up close to Kaiserslautern. It's another German village, rather small, like a hundred thousand people live in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then skateboarding for me, it started with this big push uh, with the Tony Hawk games. Right. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1. Sorry to cut you off, but I was wondering, like, how how old are you guys actually? I'm 36, Bernie, 36. 31. Oh, okay, okay. So you're a bit younger. Okay. I'm 35, so I'm closer to Bernie. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, the whole Tony Hawk's Pro Skater era that right, got yeah. so many people hooked on skateboarding. And it was the same for me. I must have been about nine years old. And I started like playing with my, with my friend back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we wanted to get skateboards and, and try this out. And uh, it's a really, really fun time experimenting with your skateboard and like trying to find find everything out how everything works and how you can how you can make all those tricks just like in the video game or like at least somewhat like in the video game what year was it when you started you talked about tony hawk so i guess early 2000s yeah yeah 99 2000 okay so you were still quite young like uh under 10 years old yep nine years old when i started what about you bernie me all right I come from a small city close to Munich. I think Munich is the, you know, probably everyone would know Munich, but uh, where I'm from, called Straubing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a small city, maybe 15,000 people live there. But that was a dope skate scene. There was lots of people skating. That was when I got into skateboarding. But actually how it started, I think I was seven. And me and my family would always go visit our, my cousin every Sunday. Every Sunday we'd drive over. It's like a 20 minutes drive. It's my father's sister. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the cushions there, lots of my father's side family lived there. And yeah, and that one day, they all, they all had skateboards. It was like, you know, like two of my cushions, all their friends from the neighborhood. And then the next weekend, they already started building ramps. And then the, the other weekend, it went more. And then there was a mini ramp in the garden of my cushion. I was oh, like, nice. wow, dude, what's going on over there? And then I want to try too. Straight away, I asked my parents, can I have a skateboard? Can I have a skateboard? You know, what you get is like supermarket skateboard. But it's, you know, it's first steps. For sure, yeah. 
you know, since that day, come more and more, you know, want to learn more, want to get more tricks. Like, my cousin stays super, how to say, learn super fast. The other friend of my cousin could do the kickflip and I could go, I just learned cruising, you know, and like be in the mini ramp and turn left and, you know, turn around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that was the first uh, impression in skateboarding and then and then become more and more, you know. And then, there, then like I went with my mom in my city and I seen there was a mini ramp there in that parking lot. There was a mini ramp next to a huge supermarket. And I see those those kids skating there. And then actually met a friend in my village who went always to the skate park in the other city. And he took me one day. So I become, you know, just become making more friends there and pretty much learn skateboarding. Mm-hmm. I'm born in 87, so probably when I first seen skateboarding, seven years was around 1994, 1995. That's when I first seen skateboarding through my eyes, you know, through my father's uh, family, through the cushions. These kids were also like, I was seven, they were all probably like, oh, we're older, were 12, somewhere 13. Actually, what was uh, like your first uh, video and magazine for each of you? Do you remember the first video and the first magazine that you ever saw? I for sure remember my first video, and that was a 411 video. It was called Brazilian Vacation. It was like an S film trip they did in Brazil. Like a tour? Yeah, like a tour video, like demos and a lot of skate parks. And uh, that was actually what I liked about it back then as a kid. And the Mm -hmm. criteria for it was uh, I looked at the back of it, and it had like the runtime. And I bought the video with the longest runtime. So I could (laughs) see uh, as much skateboarding as possible. Because back then there were, maybe there was a super sick full length video that I like completely skipped because it was like 35 minutes or something. So I oh, yeah. bought the one that was like an hour so I could get twice the amount of skateboarding. Because back then, uh, I mean, if people who are like young are listening right now, skateboard media was like uh, scarce, you know, yeah. Yeah. You had to find it, you had to dig for it. And, uh, and then back then, if you invest some money in a video, I want to be able to see the most skateboarding I can. Especially like not knowing much about tricks and culture and anything. So I just wanted to see the skating. But turned out pretty cool video too, with a lot of skaters that I happened to like for a long time. What about the magazine? Do you remember the first mag? Yeah, for sure. I used to pick up uh, a lot of um, monster skateboard magazines. So it's a German German magazine. Right, yes. I don't think I've ever gotten my hands on one, but uh, but I've heard of it. Definitely monster. Monster skateboard magazine. Yeah, and some limited skateboard magazines also one. I like to look at yeah, and that's uh, those both were like you could get them at the train station or at every skate shop. So okay, those are the go tos for the German kids growing up in the two thousands. Right, right. Yeah, definitely the newsstands and definitely the German skateboard media. That's what they had. So and what about you, Bernie? Do you remember the first video? Yeah, that was the storm. Crazy, huh? <laughs> the storm was that late nineties or? Late nineties, early two thousand. It's like you know, you get your you get your first skateboard. It was a Heath Kirkwood board at, at Birdhouse. That's what I got with Fury trucks. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The ones was easy to set up. It's a recommendation of the local skate show. I had a good video selection, and they told me like, "This is the video you need to watch." Like, okay, cool. It's the video I need to watch. So I watched it. Awesome. Yeah, that's a cool first video. Cherry Sue part got me. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. And then uh, they had always had lots of videos there. And uh, I think the, the second one they would give me called manual labor. And then I would have one called 16th skateboards and it, the video called I Heard Children. And there was only like below 16 skater, oh. 16 year old skater. I think Spanky had a part in there. Justin Case had a part. Justin Case oh, yeah. started off the video. He was red. Yeah, I remember him. 
crazy how I got to, you know, how to get a hand of these videos, but yeah, the shot had it. That Rambo that would give me a video called Fingers of Fury is funny too, a four-on-one production about fingerboarding. I know. Oh. <laughs> Sick. I think it was like 10 Deutsche Mark, which was about... How much was 10? How much 10 Deutsche Mark? It was five insane. Euros. It was 5 euros. Not adjusted for inflation, but um, 5 euros. Oh, still. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> And so tell me how you guys met. So I read in an interview of you, that you two did, I don't remember for which media, but uh, I think you said in that interview that you met in Croatia in 2010. Was this Norse, the Norse interview? I think so, yes. That was the last one I did. Graham is the man, shout out to Graham. Mm -hmm. So yeah, tell me about meeting together. Yeah, yeah. What was the purpose of this trip? So that trip came together. I will be friends with Norbert Sambati. He works for agency in Cologne right now, doing stuff uh, with Nike and more. But we go, we go way back and our friends, you know, through like a old board company in Germany mm -hmm. named Emilian. So yeah, we become friends and like, um, we just do a homie trip. I just graduated my degree. I did a degree for five years. I don't know the name in a special English name, but it's education with uh, handicapped people. Educator. Okay have a degree on this one so i just finished and um that was the time for me yeah let's go let's have a break of this and let's uh just shoot photos you know right like, as anyone who just finished you know pretty much uh, high school or university they want to you know they want to do for the next couple one or two years what they couldn't do like in in a longer period you know just follow what they love yeah and uh yeah we did that trip and uh that's the first time i met johannes there was also another homie i met maxi maxi scheible skates for new balance he lives in barcelona like like norbert and maxi and me we know already for longer okay and, uh, yeah but maxi maxi is best friends with johannes that's how the skate trip come up you know like okay cool he's taking him they're taking them this game there and then that's where we go let's drive to croatia oh so you drove there wow we drove over there we drove over there right johannes you guys you guys drove from uh, around your yeah, old area where you live area. and we drove uh, we drove with two cars it was a like a homie trip pretty much everybody paying out of pocket maybe some people had some sort of sponsors where they would get some support but pretty much a homie trip out of pocket to split croatia for filming mm -hmm. and shooting photos bernie was shooting photos and then we had our friend marcus Piersack, he used to film and uh flo gaia yeah like a really talented skate filmer and filmmaker went on to do great things outside of skateboarding in uh, film and editing and motion graphics and things like that but it was all homies just uh and then making mm -hmm. new friends on this trip and meeting old ones and bernie was a new friend that i made on this trip yep yep and so before we get into pocket and and launching it and running it i was interested in asking you about like what you did prior to that like work-wise and so bernie i know you're a photographer you've been shooting for a long time yeah. I read, I think it was in a North interview, you said that you had a, like a gnarly arm and elbow injury at some point. Yeah. That kind of um, was the starting point of you getting int more interested at least into like filming and, and shooting photos. Exactly. And so, yeah, can you tell me about like uh, when you kind of transitioned from, or not transition, but like when you skated maybe a bit less to focus a bit more on shooting and everything? Yeah, I mean, I had this, I had this crazy, how's it, arm, arm break, <laughs> elbow. Broke my elbow. Skating or? Skating, yeah. I tried to front front one A transition and then hang up and then just fall with my straight arm into the ground. How to say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The arm looked like a mini ramp. And it happened in a mini ramp. It looked so bad. The shock was unbelievable. I was it's like like freezing all around my body and don't even realize what's happening, you know. And then How old were you? 
I was 15 when that happened. I was 15 when that happened. Wow. But I was already, you know, I was already really interested into media. You know, when I, when I grew up watching skate videos, I don't know how many people had that, had this situation maybe. But for me, I was so much interested in, um, in the people behind the spot, you know what I mean? It was like, wow, what this guy holding in his hand? What camera is this? What is, what kind of huge lenses on their mounted, you know, like I'm personally for sure. I mean, <laughs> watching skateboarding inspired of tricks and the music and, you know, the, all the stuff, but there was also this, this thing, like what's going on in the background, all these flash dance and, and like, wow, it looks cool, you know, it looks cool. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, that shop I've been, I've been telling before, I got my first video, they also had the camera and like every year they filmed a video and so it would be out, you know, mm -hmm. and then I broke my arm, I couldn't film, but uh, that was my dad's camera, like that classic situation, like to get access to a camera of someone and uh, it was my dad. And then, yeah, but I could hold a camera, you know, I had the, the whole summer, I had this uh, huge cast. The huge cars, that sweaty cars was a hot summer. And, <laughs> and yeah, it was just, uh, you know, trying to take some photos. And, um, and that's when also was a transition where I, you know, when I start finding the photos of the stuff I've seen in videos and I trying to find out the photographer who shot it, trying to find out, oh, what light stand is in the back? What's that flash? Oh, you got more addicted than this. And there was no internet before. There was, this was not like, yeah, you go on Instagram and you ask your favorite photographer or, or you can read in the comment section like, oh, what, what's the gear, you know? Yeah. There was no access. There was no access really in photo gear. I could not even identify what is a Hasselblad camera and what is the 30 mil fisheye. Like I just had to, you know, Figure buy catalogs, buy actual photo catalogs in a local newsstand. And um, there was one from a huge, how to say, it's not a local photo store, it's more like a, a huge store, you know, it would be based in, the, in Germany and they sent a catalog with all the products you could buy and call them and order per phone, a photo mail order. Okay, right? a photo okay, mail order. I see. And you could get this also in the in the newsstands and like and this catalog, you know, searching, 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 you know, also could not really find that gear, you know, like and. But then Transworld Skateboarding came out with uh, with the photo issue. Yes. There was in uh they did lots of, did every year photo issue, I think. But there was one one photo issue, was it the two thousand three or two thousand four, had a photographer's buyer's guide and there were all the photos inside from the equipment. They would show everything. They would show the pocket wizards to try to you know to shoot a wireless flash, they would a little bit write about techniques, they would you know, they would show the cameras, they would show the thirty five mil Cameras. They would show even like when digital become digital in the beginning, like become a sequence camera. It wasn't a single photo camera. In mm, the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It was still Hasselblad, you know, on um, six to six film, hundred twenty mm. film was still the biggest uh, quality you can get, could get out of a, of a good scan. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a, a lot of a lot of inspiration. You start, you know, you start finding um, the photographers you love, and um, you start studying the photos, and you know, trying to find out how you can set this lightning, how you can get this composition, how you can shoot something similar to this. So this first Transworld issue was a big uh, moment for you. Like you all of a sudden had access to a lot of information on the a whole technical side of shooting properly skateboarding. Yes, of course, because it was so hard to find find the information. And obviously me, me, I come off the, from the middle of nowhere. I mean, I, I super love where I live and I'm, you know, I appreciate that I'm, that I grew up there and uh, 
and I still have all my friends around. So a lot of them are not skateboarding. I mean, I'm the only one left. They all got into different uh, interests, you know. Right, but I'm right. Still, I did stop, you know, to still have them around and like go out for a beer in the night sometimes, you know, talk the old good old days or even like, you know, join weddings. But yeah, um, going back to the topic, there was nothing much around uh, to find resources for photo gear. Mm-hmm. That's why this Transworld issue with the photo guide <laughs> that becomes so handy and they become really like, wow, finally you could figure out what are the pros are using. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm starting off with pro equipment. Hell no. No, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> no one. Stuff is so expensive. But uh, yeah, it was nice to know where the inspirations can take you. Like, uh, what is your goals? You know, like, what do you want to achieve? Yeah, for sure. Because I love, you know, I, I got my first shitty 35 mil photo. I, was, I mean, like, and then after the, after the time, it happens to every photographer, you know, then you come that click, there come that moment where you, wow. This one is sick, actually, you know, <laughs> this one is amazing. And, yeah. uh, and then it becomes addicting and then it becomes like, fuck, that's the only thing I want to do. You know, I want to shoot skateboard photos and I want to learn, I want to progress. I want to also have a photo in a magazine. That's just my goal. That is my goal, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Johannes, uh, tell me about you. Uh, I read, I think, in the same interview that you worked for a German distributor for a while. Maybe you still do. I'm not too sure. But uh, it's called Mosaic. And you were like uh, basically a TM over there dealing with uh, American brands like Huff, Lakai, DVS. So, yeah, tell me about this uh, like first job in the skate industry before you started Pocket with uh, Bernie. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're correct. I actually uh, worked for Mosaic until very recently. Okay. This year we stopped on very good terms. Actually, I started studying to become a teacher, English and geography. And I did that for a couple of years, but Mm -hmm. I had to make some money besides studying. So I have to start with the skateboarding part of it because when Bernie and I, for example, were in the split trip, things were happening for me with like sponsors and stuff like that. Okay. Like always on like a distribution level. So I was getting Lakai from the distribution and uh, eventually also chocolate from another distribution. The whole trail tap kind of uh, brands. Yeah, exactly. So I was like trying to, you know, film parts and get photos in magazines and like live that life. And then in the year that I graduated from school, I went to Barcelona with my good friend Maxi Scheibler, mm-hmm. pretty much without a return ticket. And I can't make the exact time that it happened. But during this trip, I, pretty much in the beginning of it already, I got a, a slip disc. Oh, okay. In the lower back, yeah. And it was like really creeping onto me, like starting to get worse and worse. And I wouldn't, I just wouldn't know what it is because the pain would, would go into the legs and not really be in the back area. So I just, I just took painkillers and, and skated and we actually filmed a video pretty much with an uh, like active slip disc. Wow. And yeah, then I came home from that trip. I mean, I had to pretty much fly home emergency because I, I wasn't sleeping for three days. And uh, yeah, then I got the diagnosis that, it, that it's a slip disc. And pretty much the world collapsed on me a little bit, you know, trying yeah. to being 19, just finishing school and just being like, now it's my time. I'm going to travel. I'm going to skate, you know, I want to be productive and have this like pro skater life kind of yeah yeah kind of like chasing the dream see how far i can take it but yeah then then pretty much that happened so i was recovering from that for about nine months so you couldn't skate yeah i couldn't skate i mean doctors actually told me i should never skate again because of it yeah did you have surgery or did they just tell you to like kind of chill and not try to impact your lower back and everything I didn't do the surgery. I I did some form of treatment. 
but no really no real surgery and uh, it was just pretty much like slowly getting back and like getting mobility back and getting strength in the back and strengthen all the muscles around mm -hmm. and i think about nine months later i started skating again okay and then i, I actually got back and it was never really 100 percent, and it's always like in the back of your head kind of thing mm. but i also ended up filming another part with the slip disc because it's a it's like something that stays since it's a, a tissue that's not uh it's no blood going through it so it's not repairable so it stays like that so i okay i actually filmed a part with it and i kind of like learned how to deal with, with it. it and skate with it yeah, right deal yeah. with it but i i kind of knew that i didn't want to you know chase it too much anymore with the skateboarding i kind of knew that my window i don't want to say my window was closing but also i i felt like uh i want to enjoy skateboarding for what it is and not try to put too much pressure on myself Although yeah. I, I never really had pressure from like sponsors because it's really like I was just getting some stuff, but I put a lot of pressure on myself. And so at some point it felt good to, to take some pressure off myself and enjoy skateboarding more for what it is. And pretty much in this transition, Philip from Mosaic Distribution. Yep. He asked me if I wanted to do some marketing work for them. Okay. So take care of the team and of the social media. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty much common and perfect timing because I started studying to become English and geography teacher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to do something on the site and uh, it was like pretty much the perfect site job because I could do it from home and it involved skateboarding and I could plan skate trips and I could. Yeah. Work with your passion, basically. Yeah. I could work with my passion. I started working over there and I started doing more and more uh, marketing stuff and it like really grew from like, can you do a little bit of this and a little bit of that until like I fully took on a lot of responsibility and I... You planned a lot of trips with like people coming from the States and... Oh wow, you know, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did trips with like the German and Italian Lakai teams to uh, Morocco, for example, and... Uh, nice. I planned one with the like German half team to Bangkok and yeah, pretty much I planned a couple of trips every year. Even like a DVS trip, right? And a DVS trip, for sure. A lot of DVS trips. We did videos for DVS. And then when the US brands were coming to Europe, I would help take care of them. You would take care of the logistics of the whole tour? Yeah, for yeah them, I, would I would help organize signings. For example, for DVS tour, it was called Trains, Planes and Automobiles. I would like... Uh, I think I remember organize that one, the, yes. Help organize the signing, yeah, and drive the van, you know, with like day one song and all the... Jeremy Rogers, and the, yeah. Was he on DVS at the time? I can't recall if he was still on DVS at the time, but he wasn't part of the trip. Okay. But uh, yeah. Tory Potwell was on a trip, right? Tory Potwell, for sure. Tory Potwell was on the trip. Yeah, a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that also lead to flying to the US and like getting to know the industry side of skateboarding. Mm -hmm. Also from a U.S. standpoint, you know, fly to like uh, Crailtap or Lakai sales meetings, which are always super fun. And Huff sales meetings, getting to know Huff and things like that. And people who work at Huff, that was yeah. super good experiences. And I'm very thankful for Philip for giving me the opportunities to, to do that up until very recently. So you worked there for a long time, right? So like 10 years, years like more or less? 10 or? years. Yeah, I think, yeah, probably going towards the 10 years mark. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's impressive. I kind of like just want to say also to Philip because like when we started Pocket, he was the first guy who pitched our idea what we want to do, and he was the first one who said yes, I'm gonna support you with this for that year. Yeah. And then when I heard that, I was like, wow. He trusted you. Yeah, he trusted us. 
it's a hard change to say like, oh, I'm gonna make a magazine. Oh yeah, for sure. And people are well, what the hell? <laughs> especially <laughs> today. Like, uh, well, I mean, it probably gets gnarlier and gnarlier as time goes. But uh, you started Pocket in 2017, right? So yeah, 17. 17 I don't remember yeah. what what year Transworld stopped, but it was maybe around that time, maybe a year later. Yeah. I don't know. Also, other magazines started too around that time, but it was a pretty pretty harsh time to start a magazine from like a, an outside perspective because also back then it wasn't really when you said I start a magazine everybody was thinking oh you're gonna you want to do 12 issues per year how, oh, yeah. how are you gonna be able exactly. to do that there wasn't really too much of a blueprint to have like a strong online presence and like really really make this your thing mm -hmm. so when you said I'm going to start a magazine for sure there's going to be doubt if that's like a super good idea but Philip was like supporting us from the beginning and believing in us and that that was a super good feeling from motivation yeah so let's talk about the beginnings of pocket like uh, when did the idea kind of start between the two of you was there one of you that kind of had the idea first and approached the other one or how did it all start i think the idea already became not the idea of pocket but the idea of doing something together become already like we've been talking since 2015 i think i feel like it took two years yeah <laughs> i think like you've been talking till since 2015 was like Damn, but one day we should try to do this, you know, and do that, try to do that, you know I mean? The talks about doing something together has been around. It lost on conversation and then again it become back. Johannes been calling me up and be like, damn, should do something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been doing stuff photographer for a magazine called Playboard. This is from oh, yeah. Germany. I think there was also a, a Norwegian version or Swedish version of Playboard out. But it was a different one. It was, this was the German version of Playboy. Okay. Then Place made me become a stuff photographer. Right. This was still when uh, Benjamin Markstein was doing Place. Mm -hmm. That was in Berlin already. And um, he would give me a stuff photographer position, a paid one from 2010 till 2014. And after this, I would be more freelance. Okay. As I say, like, I don't come from a, from a major city. So for me, traveling was always apart. I want to know people. I want to learn people. Before I go, you know, Munich is a two hours drive. Berlin is a six hours drive. For sure, I'm going there, you know, like it's where I'm from. But I'm also thinking like, okay, cool. I have free time right now. Let's just fly there, you know. That's how I get to meet people and like how I progress my photography. Yeah. And traveling has been always, always a part. So I've been going with Danny Farm to Bangkok, shooting an interview with him and then met the person of my life right now, which, you know, Tiff, my wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I almost lived there like eight years. In, right. I read in that Thailand. you were spending more or less half of the year in, uh, was it in Thailand? Yeah, I've been doing stuff for a place over the winter there. And of, I mean, also freelance stuff, mm -hmm. doing trips to China, doing trips. I mean, the thing is like, I remember... The first time I met her and I'd be like, okay, you know, you fall in love, but you'd be like, oh, damn, how you can make this life work? <laughs> it was a cool, it was a crazy sentence. That day we went skating with Ant and like I told Ant my situation. He was like, he kind of made the world a little bit smaller for me. You know, and he said like, he mentioned that we're Croatia because I just came up from this trip and I met Johannes and he said, he said like, yeah, I drive to Croatia, take the same time as a flight to Bangkok, right? I was like, that's true, oh, okay. that's true, yeah. <laughs> that's true, you know. But yeah, long story short, I become settled my life in Asia, doing stuff in the winter, coming back to the summer, to Europe. Uh -huh. Then become freelance, doing stuff for every magazine over this time. And then there was this time where I was, yeah, I don't know, like, I got so many ideas. And I, I think Johannes from his side got also so many ideas. And it was just 
I think it was just like, you know, you know how it is as a photographer. You have this idea, you're trying to pitch it to someone and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then one time it, it works out and you do it. But the ideas become a lot and Johannes' side become also a lot. And there was this point where we said, let's do it, you know, we do it together because there's no more way. Let's do it. Let's create Pocket together. There was not the name Pocket around. Let's create this media together, you know, where we can make this happen, which is in our, our mind. You know, I want to sure. go there. I want to go this. I want to this. Johannes said like, I want to follow skateboarders with my camera, you know. I have the ability to, to film, I have the know-how. During the time of, of all that years, I, I taught myself so much things, you know. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I, I want to follow skateboarders, you know, like, that's showing their daily life. I think that, that was like that, you know, and also other stuff, so. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty much uh, the itch we needed to scratch, like we had so much ideas and so much things we wanted to do and uh, also have our own power about our ideas and yeah. execute them the way we want to execute them and when and where. Mm -hmm. So yeah, exactly. pretty much the idea to create our own outlet for our ideas. Right, right. Yeah. So tell me about coming up with the name Pocket and like the general concept. Yeah, I, I think it's often mistaken. Many people would think that the print edition is small because it's called Pocket. Yeah. But actually, when we came up with the name Pocket or when we think of the name Pocket, we don't think of the print part of it at all. I mean, the, the name Pocket does not come from the print part of it, but more from where skateboarders would consume media in the day and age. And that's on their phone and their phone is in their pocket. So. Right. That's pretty much the idea that we had. We bring skateboarding to everyone's pocket. And then also we have the books that we do, two books a year on top of some special print projects. Right. But the idea pocket comes from having your content and pretty much the magazine. You, you always have it in your pocket because you would just open it. But in the same time, Pocket is such a cool name, you can combine with so much stuff, you know, Pocket this, Pocket that, Pocket that. Mm -hmm. So it really worked. It's not, should be only a part of Pocket size. Yeah, yeah. That's like pretty much how the idea came about. But the name itself for us works, even though it doesn't always have to be nailed down to something being Pocket size. Right. Or something being media, online media or social online media. Online media you know? like versus print, yeah. Yeah, people should not think like pocket means like, you know, like, ah, oh, that's the name of like, yeah. Okay, for sure. I take my phone out of the pocket and watch Instagram. No, it's not. It's idea. It came like that, but it's also so much more, you know, yeah. because with this name, we, you know, like people would think in the beginning, oh, damn, it's a pocket size magazine, yeah, a yeah, micro yeah. magazine mm -hmm. or something, you know, that magazine is as big as my earpod case, you know, if I go back to the first Instagram post we launched, we're doing that, there would be a comment or a true, wow, how sick it would be a pocket size magazine. <laughs> yeah. Like a small, a, a micro magazine, a micro magazine. But it's cool in the other way, you know, it's a hardcover book, you know, mm -hmm. like it's it called pocket, but it's a hardcover book. Yeah. And also people would call our books the Mac or the magazine. But I think, I mean, I personally, uh, I think Bernie too, we don't talk about the books being the magazine. Okay. Us, pretty much what we do online. Yeah, they're is the like magazine. special editions. And uh, the books, they're meant to be timeless pieces you can collect and look at every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And they include the story we're telling, you know, the story, like the ideas we do, you know, like the people we, we do stuff with. Like during the years, Johannes and me would really like become friends with many people, you know, skateboarding. It's a big family, sure. traveling, meeting people. I know lots of people, top pros 
I know them when they got to Barcelona and like I'm trying to make their career mm -hmm. in that way, you know, like I lived in Barcelona for three years, so I've been skating every day around. But anyway, we both met and become friends with lots of people. And I think like Pocket is a huge family, you know, yeah. it's a huge family of everyone who wants to be part of it, you know, getting bigger every day. And so what were like some magazines or like skate media that kind of influenced you at the very early stages? Because uh, like you just mentioned doing a book or two books a year. And in that sense, that kind of reminds me of Genkem, even though, of course, Pocket is very different than Genkem. You can find some similarities, but uh, they're mostly online and like every once in a while they'll do a book. Mm -hmm. with some like super as you said like timeless kind of content and interviews yeah. and cool photos and everything but like what were some maybe magazines or skate media that influenced you back in 2017 when you started so i still want to acknowledge all skateboard media who was out there already in 2017 but mm -hmm. from the very beginning we tried to create our own niche so i can't deny that pretty much everything we see is inspiration for us Mm -hmm. And we're fans of a lot of skate media out there and we're also back then. But from the start, it was really important for us to create our own niche and to create kind of like our own way of doing things. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, for sure, Jenkins does the books and uh, maybe that has been some sort of inspiration to do books. I, I can't recall, like I can't pin down things that other people did that we wanted to do too. It was rather like a, a necessity for us to be original and create our own lane formats and our own things and I, our own ways of doing stuff. Also because there are so many skate magazines around and we don't want to step on anyone's toes. So we sure. want to do our own thing, create our own niche and uh, let everybody do what they do best. Because mm -hmm. I think in Europe, no one does 12 issues a year. And I think no one did it more. This was days for Kingpin in Europe. This was days when Kingpin was around and Monster was around. They did 12 issues a year. Yep. I was wondering, like, when did Kingpin stop? Was it after 2017? No, it was 14. Before. Oh, okay. It was 14 and then, uh, but I'm just saying there was uh, no way for us to, not even thinking for us to... To do an issue every month. To put out six issues a month. A year. It was like, we want to do print. We want to do it because, like, you know, we want to shoot, shoot photos on trips. We want to do these projects and that, which are obviously the ideas and become the main thing where we started Pocket. But, mm -hmm. you know, produce, produce this content, you know, our own and give it in the format of a, the hardcover book two times a year. So because right. Pocket also started also as the Pocket trips we did, you know. We did a trip to Los Angeles was our first one. And we did, we keep it going. Pocket Los Angeles, Pocket Northbound, which was Seattle. I always wanted to go there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> did it. and then like, you know, and then like UAE. And then dun, 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 dun. that's also like, always like the main part of every Pocket book is actually a Pocket trip. Uh -huh. Which I shot the photos or someone else, you know, but it's, it's made for us. So, and, um, you know, you could do like a hundred pages for six times, or you do like four to 500 pages for two times. And if we do that, then we give it a hardcover look. Yeah. That was Johannes idea, give it a hardcover look. Cause we're not doing it. We, we're only doing it two times a year. Now it becomes to be like two times a year still, but then we're doing all the special editions, kind of like the Chunkler one we did right, right. now with, yes. with Leo's backside grab cover over the infamous uh, Thailand rail. And we did one with Volcom last year about the Lisbon trip. But yeah, it becomes like we do two issues a year, give it a hardcover book and hope people like to collect it. Yeah, for sure. It's our story. It's, it's the story. We, what's the pocket life from year to year? You know, what we do I do? Mm-hmm. 
And so when you first started, you came up with the name and you had a general idea of what you wanted to do. But did you have kind of a business plan, so to speak, in mind as to how you were going to do it and like um, how you were going to make a living outside of it? Because I assume like at the very beginning, you weren't making much money or maybe no money at all. Johannes, you just said that you were working for Mosaic for a long time. And you, Bernie, you've been a photographer for various media. So like, did you have like a whole kind of business plan in mind as to how to make this? Uh, like a workable operation financially speaking or did you just think like let's just do this we'll make it work somehow like on our free time and we'll see what happens basically I think it's something in between it it wasn't we never ever wrote down a business plan or something like that okay but on the other hand we we also weren't going to you know like play around and like not really focus on on making it the best we can i think bernie and i we are both a hundred percent people so when we do something we do it a hundred percent and uh we don't stop until we go to bed and when we wake up we start again yeah <laughs> so we had to figure it all out by ourselves you know there's not really too much information about how you can do things obviously like the og route of doing a magazine is you make the magazine like the print magazine and you sell the ads but yep. there are a lot of Macs out there doing that already and we don't want to interfere with their business and we don't want to you know we said we want to create our own niche mm -hmm. so yeah we we just try to be creative and find and figure out ways to make it work with online content and that that's also like something that wasn't really a thing back in 2017 mm -hmm. that brands would pay or support things just for the sake of it being online it always had to be print it was still kind of in transition between print and digital yeah, yeah i see it was pretty traditional still And so we kind of worked our way through that. And I think we have always had a very good understanding of social media and how it works. For sure. Yeah. Pretty much from the very beginning, helping us to grow a big following. And I think that made it a bit easier to convince people that we're onto something and they are, would be good if they would support us. But also, I have to say that pretty much every brand we reached out to in the beginning, they were all down to support us. And wow. uh, from 2017 until today, I think the brands we work with are like uh, 90 or 80% the same. Wow. Just a couple of new ones, but pretty much we got a very good response and we started working with the brands. Yeah, that's amazing. Straight up and kept working with them forever. And so tell me, how do you kind of divide the workload between the two of you, especially at the beginning? Because I know that now you have other people working with you, although I'm sure like you two are the, still the main guys. But um... Pocket is Johannes, me and Bennett. And Bennett, Johannes knew from his city. Bennett's been filming the local scene. Become a really good filmer right now. We need a little section on Bennett. Oh, so he was there at the beginning then? He was there in the, in the beginning. But Pocket, you know, I say Pocket is way more because... As I say, it's a huge family and right. so many you know, people yes. contributing. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so, so tell me about, especially between the two of you, or maybe even with Bennett at the very early stages, like how did you divide who does what basically? So Bernie, you're the photographer. Johannes, you have the background in like more marketing. And so how would you kind of decide who does what, like who does social media, who does this interview, who does this trip, whatever? Like how did you kind of figure it all out in the very early stages? So I would be responsible to organize all the trips, shooting the photos for it. Okay. Calling the brands up, telling them what we are, what we are about to do. Are they in? What do you think? And um, yeah, visualizing the trips, booking the trips, creating the trips, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Getting the spot guys, just the regular thing you do on the skate trip. 
making the edit happen, making the article happen, guiding the people around. And um, Johannes was on his uh, super inspiration doing photo features. <laughs> I mean, you have to get in there, Johannes. I, mean. I think also, Bernie, you, you also came up with the web design. And web you, design, you, yeah, that's you, true. Uh, lay out the books. That's crazy. That's, that's a crazy thing because I'm becoming from a photographer to teaching myself in design and stuff like that. You know, I I'm always was interesting to learn new things. Like, you know, if you're a photographer, you also like to see how stuff looks laid out and mm. stuff like that, you know, not only the photo. Right. And, uh, yeah. That's how skateboarding is, right? Skateboarding teaches you so much stuff all around. Absolutely. Life experience, teach you media, teach you that. Definitely. Like, it opens your mind. Interesting. Yep. I think my part from the beginning to now, I did definitely change. But in the beginning was uh, talk to brands for sure. And then a lot of social media stuff, like uh, come up with social media ideas, but Bernie too. Like it's hard to divide because I think we're both hands on everything pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. There's never really something that like one person really only does. And then I, I got more and more into filming and started a follow feature and also editing for social media and pretty much the video vision side of things to the long term vision to create a, a strong YouTube channel. That was really like Johannes, like I have to step in there right now because for me, when I started Pocket, I pay attention, you know, to all the videos, but I not pay attention to on the channel and this and this. I watched the part, it's super sick. Wow, there's me, you know, I, wa I was in that part too. I, I've been on all these tricks on that part and I watch it. But um, it's crazy. When, I, when we started Pocket for me was um, personally creating a YouTube channel. And what is this, you know what I mean? For me, for me it was like, ah, oh, it's YouTube, you know, the videos are going to be on there. That's the platform which holds the video. But making a channel, you know, this is Johannes' vision for me is, you know, how I say, shooting photos, getting to print, going on trips, you know, doing this, this stuff, you know, what, which I've been so used to it, you know, because yeah. doing it on a daily basis. But I'm for so off of the online media side, you know, the vision of Johannes. Even to be honest about the followed features, mm -hmm. it's crazy. I was still too... Um, too much in, in my in my inspiration to even understand what Johannes is trying to do. Yeah, to achieve. It was like, oh, yeah, is this going to work? Uh, okay, follow the people, I don't know. Because <laughs> if, you, if you start the magazine and if you start the YouTube channel, you need good content. And when you start with like zero subscribers, mm -hmm. you know, the content won't, won't come flying towards you. You know, somebody who's been working on a part for two or three years, they want to publish that part with an outlet that is going to, you know, get a lot of eyeballs on it. So right, exactly, yeah. For me, it was clear that we have to produce the stuff ourselves and kind of build from there. So that was how Fallout started. That was also how, how we started doing just doing our own trips. I yep. don't know if that was too much of a thing back then for magazines to be like uh, organizing trips and like um, getting people to support it. There was not much trips back then, like organized by a magazine. You know, for me, it was always like I want to make trips. Because before it was usually more the skate brands that would like actually do the trips and the magazines would just tag along basically. Yeah, it would just send a photographer and then just run the photos in the magazine. Okay. Yeah, but uh, we, we had to, there was no brands that just wanted to, hey, we just drop all this stuff with you. So we had to create all this stuff ourselves out of necessity. But in the end, it, it's the greatest thing ever because we really could form our own way of communicating and our own looks. Yeah. And uh, really pay a lot of attention to the details, you know, like animations in the beginning and all the things that I really like about videos. We could implement that and make it a strength, so to say. 
And so this is kind of a random question, but I, I was wondering like if each of you could tell the other's greatest skill or best quality regarding Pocket. I think with Bernie, it's uh, creativity and out of the box thinking. And uh, also like being bold to do something, you know, mm -hmm. ideas coming into into his head and uh, maybe someone would say, uh, no, we can't do that. But if I just say, yeah, let's do it and then we're going to do it. And a month later, we did it. Mm -hmm. And that's also like a really fun part, you know, coming up with ideas and then just be like, let's do it. Yeah, like, fuck it, let's just try. Yeah. What about you, Bernie? Do you have uh, something in mind for Johannes? Yeah, he's the creative around Pocket. And um, probably you feel how I'm talking and, you know, I'm a hyper person. <laughs> so, you know, like Johannes always puts me like calm down and like all the stuff. What I'm saying, Johannes, he fine tunes it. No, you, you just not come up with something and do it. You need another person, your partner, who fine-tunes it. And that's what Johannes is. Okay. He fine-tunes it and he figures out the possibilities, how we make it happen. Mm -hmm. And it's an absolute amazing filmer, partner, business partner and friend. Likewise, Bernie. Love you. And so you guys are probably one of the most productive skate media out there. Thank you. Like every day I go on Instagram and I see amazing content from you, like pretty much every day. Like there's either a followed piece, a new video, something. It's pretty mind blowing. I don't know how you'd manage to create so much content and so much good content. So yeah, I was just curious, like how are you so damn productive and keep like uh, sane basically? I don't know how to keep sane, but I can tell you how we are productive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely when we talk about the audio output, that's not only Bernie and me, that's, that comes down to the network of great filmers, photographers and friends who make things happen, you know? Yeah. Who was down since the first day with Pocket and we told him to start that? That's the most important thing to say because like there was like people like Dennis Ludwig who lives in Barcelona. There was people like Daniel Gali who's from Brazil and lives in uh, Portugal right now in Lisbon. There's lots of people around like Bennett. Bennett by the time when we start Pocket was 15 years old. Oh wow, really? And now Bennett is 21. Become an amazing filmer. Bennett is 21? Yeah, He's right I now can 21. tell you the story. Holy shit. <laughs> By the time he saw Pocket, he was 15. With 16, he started to edit the first follow of Carlos Rivero. It was the first follow. Now we have 48 follows. And it's all edited by him. Mic drop. Mic drop, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a good moment to, to do the Bennett feature because I'm, that's really important to me to mention him. Because when I started filming the fallouts, those were actually possible because I was on a US trip for Mosaic. Mm-hmm. And then with the connections we had there with brands like Primitive, I was able to tap into all those people and, and get them to, to do a fallout with me. Like back then it wasn't even wasn't even clear what the what the name of it is gonna be. Right. But um I always liked uh like Day in the Life kind of videos. Yeah. You know, with back in four one one I loved it and then like Crail Tap, Slice Alive and there's so many other uh, media outlets out there that, that do stuff in Similar that direction. Similar things, I, yeah. I, I want to watch all of it. Mm -hmm. So in 2000, I think it was in 2017 or 18 on a trip to the US. It was 17, it was 17, yeah. I started filming those follows. And back then I, I pretty much had no idea what I, what I did, you know, with the camera. Mm. So 
I mean, I knew I could like film in terms of like composition and zooming in, zooming out, but like fine tuning camera settings to get a certain look, which we have now, like I did not have that. If you watch the first Fallout, first Fallout which came out was Carlos Ribeiro. Carlos, first Fallout yeah. that I ever filmed was Chico Brenes. If you watch them and compare them to the ones that we put out recently, it's a, it will be a different oh, for sure, kind of yeah. look. But still the same kind of vibe. And the first one yeah, that I yeah. filmed was with Chico Brenes. Mm-hmm. So shout out for Chico and shout out for everyone who's been down to do this without seeing a pilot, without seeing anything like what it would come down to. Yeah. And checking our Instagram and probably maybe not even 10,000 followers at this point. So... There was like 3,000 followers. There was not. I mean, like, 3,000 know. followers and they were down to do it. And when I did Chico Brenes in San Francisco... Yeah. I had no idea what to do pretty much. The, <laughs> the camera was almost completely on auto and I, I filmed it. Back then I couldn't figure out. I bought the camera from a friend who upgraded his camera. Mm -hmm. uh, Dominic Schneider, I bought his old camera and I just started filming these. I also didn't use the headphones so I wouldn't know if the audio was any good. Oh yeah, <laughs> okay. Until I came home. Like so much sketchy shit, but it all it all worked out in the end. It's part of the like learning process and yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm super glad I just jumped into it and did it. And I came home with, I think, four follow features that I filmed on this okay. trip. I can tell you who it was. It was Carlos, Chico. Jordan Taylor and Jake Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really good first ones. Yeah, yeah, super good ones. And I'm super thankful people helped me get up. Did Frankie's fallout happen also on that trip or was it the second trip? No, Frankie Villani's fallout I did on, on the second US trip I did after that. Because it was the third fallout, right? Did we ever put out the third or fourth yeah, we, fallout? Yeah, we put them out in a bit of a different order. Okay. But yeah, so Primitive helped with Carlos. Chico, we just knew through... Central skateboarding. Uh, Central skateboards. Okay. A brand that he did. And uh, Jordan Taylor through Weekend. And Jake Anderson through Huff. Tyler CG helped me hook that up. Mm -hmm. so very thankful they made that happen. And then I came home with all this footage and like filming a fallout and like we really don't do any, we don't do any scripts or do shots again or whatever. We just capture it. So you come home with like four or five hours of raw footage per episode. So the editing process is pretty intense. I'm and sure, I started yeah. editing it and I kind of got overwhelmed by it because of all the other stuff I had to do, like building up pocket. That's like a whole in job in itself, yeah. It's a whole job by itself, exactly. Yeah. So, and then one day, and I had the footage sitting on my hard drive probably for two months or three months, and I felt so bad. And uh, then this one night I went to our local indoor park mm -hmm. because uh, some kid would do a video premiere of like a homie video he did, you know, filmed his homies in our, in our town. And I thought I oh, was super cool. Somebody does something and like, I want to check it out. Yeah. So I went there and that kid happened to be Bennett. Oh, so okay. Bennett with his little DSLR camera filmed his homies and uh, I watched the video and it was pretty good. It was okay. Filming was cool. I think editing also I thought, yeah, pretty good editing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't mind blowing, but I was very impressed by him at such a young age, like making a video, organizing a premiere. You could feel the potential. You can feel the potential. Also, like, you know, talent or whatever you want to call it is one thing, but you have to be willing to go out there and, and yeah. do the work. And that's much more important than talent because it only counts if you actually do it. Yeah. So I, I actually hit him up and I said, hey, uh, I have this footage lying around. What do you think? You want to give it a, a shot and just check it out and see if you can work something out? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, of course, uh, he did, you know, and um, then he edited the first one and I was, you know, giving him like advice on how to do transitions or whatever and told him, you know, what I thought, gave him feedback. And then I got the version two and then I got the version three. And then eventually we, we came to like a, a product that was like pretty good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we had the motion graphics done by our friend Stefan Perlman. He does all our motion graphics. Okay. Shout out to him. Mm hmm also part of the network behind pocket and um yeah ever since then bennett helped edit the follows every one of them yeah i mean uh, i think there are like two exceptions but at this point i say every one of them okay yeah sanders followed it was patrick warner and beatrice right was uh dominic dominic schneider yeah okay but at this point you know percentage wise i just say he, he edited all of them also because it's like uh, he did such a massive job there mm -hmm. and um You know, he was 15, he had no business going on, whatever. So, but I, I definitely didn't want to have him like uh, work for free. Also, we wouldn't make any money with the features, but I have a philosophy. I don't, don't want to rip off people and I want to make sure. work for free. So we started like uh, buying him gear, like improving his setup, you know? Cool. Yeah. 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 Getting him on a new camera, getting him a better laptop and uh, eventually getting him like a really good Canon fisheye. Okay. And then... With that, his filming also like uh, improved, also, like improved yeah. so much with the filming, and um, it got to a point where it was like really good filming. And then up until recently, he was like going to school and editing follows on the side. And then we did a trip to Mallorca last year, Bernie. It was the off-season trip. It was his first trip. Yeah, I think it was one or two years ago. It was November 2021. Okay. November 2021, yeah, exactly. And uh, one guy got COVID and couldn't come. So we had one open spot in the van and I just said, hey, Bennett, you want to come to this trip? Mm -hmm. And he was like, for sure, I want to. And then on this trip, he like really killed it with the filming. And he was also filming Marek Sabratsky. Oh, yeah, yeah. He got super stoked on it, Marek, right? He was like, wow. Super stoked. He couldn't believe when he saw the clips from the little guy. He was impressed. Yep. Fisheye filming is so good. And that leads to, you know, one thing always leads to the other. And that, that leads to him uh, going on a, a monster filming trip. And then that leads to him going to all tour stops of this crazy monster Euro tour they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then even more stuff for Pocket, even more editing for Pocket. And now he's, he's studying and pretty much does freelance video stuff and a lot of that for us. Cool. That's right. Also, what I mentioned about Bennett is that he finds his way of editing even on social, you know, he finds a nice yeah. way to show motion between photos and style shots and like mix them up in a way like what's not been before common, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has his own style. Are you talking about like sometimes you post these on Instagram where you see like footage of a trick, like the video, and then it like slides into the picture? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think this is a Johannes idea. Yeah, that pretty much was the idea to, you know, Instagram was making it real hard for people to post photos in terms of engagement. It's so hard. It's like, it's like they're hiding the photos of people, you know, mm. and photos are so important for skateboarding, for sure. skateboard photos. And at the same time, Instagram was really pushing like reels. So I figured out a way to show the photos and tell a little bit of a backstory with the video too, to basically give photography the attention it deserves. So, right. Um, yes. And work our way around Instagram, really not giving a lot of reach to photo posts itself. Yeah, those are really well made. I, I really like those. Like they're, they hype me up basically. Like it, they make me want to go skate. So yeah. 
Thank you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. and that's like I pretty much do them, you know, really, really detailed, step by step. It's not like a template or something. Everything is keyframed to the second, and I spend a lot of time. It on must them. be a long, but, long uh, process, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get, I get faster. And then from this has become to be the stuff what we do when we launch an issue, right? Like the stop motions. That's Johannes too. Johannes is all making these stop motions. Spends eight hours on this ones. I think it's eight hours, right? Yeah, yeah, eight hours. They take a whole day. You know, take oh, photos wow. of some someone flipping through the book, mm -hmm. and then go in there and then show the show the video, and then you have to keyframe everything and line it up so the transition is perfect, and it the photo moment goes straight into the video moment. That's like really when it's like a pleasure to to watch it when it's so fluent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of fun doing this. I also sometimes hate doing it, but I also <laughs> love it. <laughs> Yeah, it must be tiring, but once you see it done, it must be super satisfying yeah, for it's sure. Yeah, the best. And the people like it. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like the people think it's cringe. Uh, oh, what no. is this shit? You no. know, because it's so old school on Instagram and think only video and you know it's okay. They like it, you know. And that also what I think is um, we trying to not reinvent, but we trying to how to say to find ways on Instagram to give it a little hype. You know what I mean? Like um, yeah. I remember when we started Pocket, my philosophy was like there was a slider option on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I never seen it. I, this was 2017. I swear I never seen it that someone had a, a magazine style based slider on Instagram. And I was like, damn, when we launched the first feature with a Killian Sender Pocket Minute, we put the photo, we layout it in Photoshop, we give it a four to five split, we put the text there, we put the other text on the other side, that people have a slide effect. Okay. And I never seen that before. Maybe people think I'm crazy when I say that. <laughs> I want to say it was the first ones, but I've never seen it before in skateboarding. It was always my vision, like emulate the look of a magazine into Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for us, it's super fun to have like the limitations of a platform, for example, Instagram, and then try to work, try to get creative and then make the most out of it. Mm -hmm. Make the most out of what, what's possible with the given formats you can post. And for example, also do the um, the portrait mode fisheye shots, mm -hmm. you know, where we do like the five on flats or other videos. Just take what they give you and like instead of complaining, you know, you, give, you find a way to make it work creatively. Mm -hmm. And that's super fun, you know. I think boundaries are pretty good for creativity because it gives you some space where you can work things out. Yeah. This 9 to 16 fisheye shots are so common right now. A lot of people do it right now. It's heartwarming to see that, you know, that, that become a little trend to take over to other people. Other people get inspired to do it. Because for us, it's like, you know, when we do this, we're like, oh, damn, maybe the people think that's fucking cringe. Yeah, it's skateboarding. Yeah, you do something new. Why they filming like, you know, action camera style or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that? You know? No, but no, it's not an action camera. Instagram gives you the way to show 9 to 16. So what you're gonna do? Oh, cool, rotate the camera. And, um, you know, you have the best setup. You have your Canon 8 to 50mm fisheye, you have the mic, you have the, the camera which films 4K, 60 frames per second. Instagram gives you the... That was also a thing. We didn't know that Instagram gives you an option of 60 frames per second. So, okay, cool. Then one day we upload the clip of Nassim. Nassim Skelet oh, yeah. Magba. Okay. And this clip got shown so clear to so many people. It was like, wow, why the quality is so good. Uh -huh. And we, did, we didn't even know it ourselves. We had to freak out. Oh, wow, Instagram gives you 60 frames per second right now. Which kind of like 60 frames per second is kind of like, you know, disgusting. 
Yeah, people despise it. Yeah, people won't upload their things to YouTube with 60 frames per second, but... No, no, but... Uh... Yeah, we pretty much found out on accident that they do 60 frames per second on Instagram and then people were freaking out because it looked so clear. Yeah, yeah. Because the look on skateboarding is 30 frames per second, but uh, I mean like on Instagram, 60 frames per second looks crispy. Mm. And there was a there was like a wow effect for lots of people on Instagram. It was like, wow, this shit looks crispy, like super clear. Yeah. You could even see the bearing rotate and stuff. It stood out, yeah. So we're still nerding out on details. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but we are nerds, kind of, you know. Like, it's how we're it all is, nerds you know? here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's cool, you know, to give like a, to start a trend, and now people like keep going. This I see five on flats, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like some people just doing it and like tag yeah, us on Instagram. We're like five on flat. Like, oh wow, that's so sick. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, that's humbling. Yeah, it's amazing. wrap it up with the follow pieces like uh, do you have kind of favorite ones that you've done and what are maybe some people that are on your bucket list ah, it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> yeah, so many it's, yeah. a, it's hard it's 48 right now and it's getting close to 50 and we're trying to find a followed for the 50th episode oh yeah do you have a 50th one planned or not yet <sighs> not yet not yet now we're gonna work it out Okay. But uh, for me, it's hard to pin down my favorite one. But for sure, the ones that I have the most emotion towards are the ones that I filmed myself. Of course, yeah, yeah. I feel like if I film a fallout with a skater, after that, they have a really deep connection, so to say. Sure, yeah. Because I, I genuinely ask questions and I, like, I feel like I, you know, I get around with people very well. And then after that, like, uh, we're like good friends, so to say. Mm -hmm. And um, the other day, I thought that one of the favorite ones that I ever filmed was Chet Timpton oh, because okay. he's uh, such a he's a, like a, one of my favorite skaters and was just so nice and the day was just so cool and uh, I don't know it's just uh, the type of friend you would want to have and like go skate every day with yeah it's just uh, heartwarming vibes with him I don't know was a very good day but and like besides uh like off record we had some like nice talks and like sh shared some like personal things so that was like a really mm -hmm. it was a really good day i like to think back to what about you bernie do you have a favorite one a favorite one i think it's Thiago because Thiago is one of my best homies and uh you know i i flew down to brazil and um wasn't really sure if it's gonna happening It was during the pandemic, during the peak time of the pandemic, and uh, it was hard to travel. And I think it was his first time speaking English on camera, like oh, proper yeah. on a, for a longer time. Not like a couple second snippets, you know. It was a huge thing for him. And uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I flew to Sao Paulo, Gali filmed it, and we had a good time. And uh, he basically showed me Sao Paulo. It was my first time in Brazil. It was in the peak time of the pandemic. There was no vaccine out. There was like lockdowns. But I mean, flying was possible. And uh, the day was amazing. Everyone was there. The entire family was there. It was Wilton there, Marina there, Anthony was there, Andrew Verde was there, Daniel Jenks was there. Everyone was there, you know, like, mm. who builds the family up to this followed. And it was my first time in Brazil. And following them, I didn't film it, but Gali filmed it, but I, I photographed it and listened to all and everything. He showed me Sao Paulo through this followed you know like a first time visitor and like got me hyped on it so like yeah it's, it's my favorite episode 
And so, so yeah, do you have like people on your bucket list kind of, uh, of people you'd love to follow around? Yeah, there's a lot. For sure. There's so many still. And I mean, the comment section is like filled with, oh, with, yeah. with comments. <laughs> Suggestions. Like, Yeah, also we pay a lot of attention yeah, to the YouTube community too. And yeah, when people comment, you know, the comments, they are read and most of them I try to respond to. Mm -hmm. It's usually me when, when you see a response to a comment. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if we go off the comments, which we also back, then it's Hater. Oh, Hater yeah. is uh, the most wished for followed and we can only agree. He would be read, yeah, for sure. Hater is the most requested one. Oh, really? The comment count on do a hater follow, it could be like at least like 300 comments. Wow. Yeah. I would be hyped on uh, Andrew Reynolds. Oh, yeah. Andrew Reynolds for sure, the boss, yeah. So, yeah, I was wondering, like, what's your take on the future of skateboarding media and especially of social media? Because you're, of course, very strong on Instagram, not just Instagram, but um, like one of your strengths is a, a very good approach of Instagram, according to me, at least. And I read in an article not too long ago, I think it was a Vice piece, but it said that basically social media is slowly dying, especially like older platforms like uh, Instagram. I was wondering, like, what do you feel is going to be the future of skateboarding media and how are people going to consume? skateboarding media in the like maybe five to ten years from now so hard to tell i think like the the age of consumers define the future of skateboard magazines for sure that's us yeah. right now you know who used to all these generations of different platforms of how to show skateboard media but what's about generation generation x right johannes if i'm right i mean uh if you talk about kids that are going to school right now what is it is it like that C, Generation C, yeah. The kids that go to school right now. Maybe we put it, phrase it that way. How they define how they will see skateboard media in the next years, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I have no idea. Could it be TikTok? Could it be keep going on Instagram? Could it be a new platform? Could it be only YouTube? YouTube is going strong with shorts. YouTube is going strong with lots of stuff identical to Instagram. Right now, Instagram is the platform combines all around the world, every age in skateboarding together. Mm. And, um, Are you guys on TikTok, actually? I don't even know. That. We do it. I mean, we're doing TikTok. It's okay. not like we're focusing on TikTok, but yeah, right. it's, it's a platform like nothing else, like Instagram, Twitter, yeah, Facebook, you know, like just post, you know, I mean, sure. I, I don't know. But it's not like we're working on to, to build a post only for TikTok. Right, know, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're doing it, you know, like it's there and has a, a certain age of followers, you know, like, well, yeah. I feel like TikTok has people, you know, like a younger generation, they're on TikTok. They're maybe not on Instagram, but they're on TikTok because they're growing up that way and they see skateboarding through this app and not through yeah. Instagram. Instagram came up in 2011. I remember the first time I made my account. It was 2011 on a trip. Claire Wall told me, are you on Instagram? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, what is this? And he showed me the app and I started. But uh, that's 12 years from now, you know, yeah. like something else gonna come. And um, kids, which are like right now on the age of 12 to 15, I mean, for sure they're on Instagram, of course, because, you know, it's how it is. But I mean, they're also on TikTok and maybe there's a generation which is only on TikTok and yeah. Yeah. It's like trying to give the people the same, the same amount of information that we do the people who are only on Instagram. Why not? You know, it's for free. It's not like you have to pay for it. You sure, know? sure. I think that if there's one thing that will stay somewhat the same, it's going to be YouTube. Yeah. YouTube is pretty steady. And also YouTube is um, from all the platforms. I like YouTube the most because I, I think it's the most positive place 
for us and it's the place that appreciates what you do the most mm. instagram everybody's in a rush on instagram everybody's yeah. in a rush they all have fomo fear of missing out and they're all like scrolling to don't miss things right and it's not used as it was used in terms mm. of like you share all your life like people get more and more hesitant about sharing about posting themselves because of the glamorized style it has like everything is so polished so i think if there's one thing for the future of social media i think there's an, a need for like uh, more authenticity and mm. uh A platform you feel safe sharing things. That's also where like be real is a bit of fun, but I don't really see it as a big use case for media outlets, more as like a personal app for you and your friends. It's hard to tell. Like the direction is definitely going farther and farther away from photography mm. and really more into video content and short video content if you talk about social media. So for us, it's always important to find creative ways to still feature photography and adapt to the landscape. And um, yeah, I think that's what we will do. We will try to preserve the culture and the culture of photography, the culture of skateboard videos, skateboard edits, but also tailored to the generation and the needs and the way they choose to consume it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the best way possible. So we bridge the gap between staying true to ourselves and what we like and also making it digestible for whoever's watching. Because at right. the end of the day, you want people to see the stuff that's also our job. And to do that in the coolest way and also in the, in the way that gets the most people to watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's the goal. And uh, what current projects like in skateboarding media do you find interesting and like exciting today? Are there magazines or media out there that are kind of starting or that have been in the game for the last few years? What are things that you've seen and that you thought, oh, this is cool, this is new, this is different? Is there something that comes to mind? Four Ply Mac, I think is really cool. Oh, I, I don't think I know that one. You have to check oh, them out. Uh, they're, they're still fairly small, but really cool. They do mm -hmm. uh, a lot of like analytics on stuff. Okay. So they would like watch skate videos and analyze the skate video. And then you would have a, a graph, you know, analyze all sorts of things. How many back tails did happen in that full length video? You know, they would analyze it. It's, it's oh, really okay, good. okay. And things like that. Really so, yeah, that. That's really refreshing. And that's like super dope. Something like that. That's the stuff I really like that hasn't been there before. Also, our friend uh, Fred, who does Hackride. Oh, yes. Hackride, yeah. He does really cool interviews and he has a really cool style of interviewing people. Mm -hmm. It's like not generic and like really ask interesting questions. His interviews are really dope, yeah. 2001 magazine, I really love. Uh huh. For sure. The yeah. size of the Mac, the heaviness, you know, like it's a big size, which is heavy, you have in your hand. And when you open it, you feel like you're watching a print. Mm. Super, super nice. Yeah. Super good. Sam Muller, amazing. Thank you so much for that. Golden Hour. Golden Hour, Matt Price. I have my Golden Hour, the first three copies box here. It's super good. Matt Price, yeah. Based on a, on a topic, everything, and like it's super good, print quality. Mm -hmm. It's really nice. It's a lot of love in it. And I'm a huge fan of Matt because, you know, I didn't mention it before. When you ask me about um, how to get into skateboard photography and how to figure yep. out all the gear and all the stuff. Right. But, um, you know, I, I mentioned the Transworld Skateboarding Buyer's Guide. But then there was a website coming up called skateboardphotography.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember you telling me about this yeah. in the interview. Yeah. And this pretty much was the first 
website ever in skateboard photography social media mm. that's where people could upload photos the photo upload size was only like 300 kilobyte or 200 kilobyte it was really <laughs> really limited yeah, but yeah. we would all upload these photos on this platform and have a photo critique from lots of skateboard photographers around the world there was like oliver there was dave you know there was so many people like sharing their work through this platform yeah and, um, yeah yeah and helping each others out, you know, to learn. You know, for example, like Matt was like one of them which stood out as someone new coming up. I was always super outstanding. And uh, I mean, it's been, this website got online in 2003. It's not more there, but you can find it through how to call time back machine, this mm -hmm. website. You can go there and like Google it up. And I did it recently. And uh, I found old posts. I even found posts of myself and like some oh, forum nice. stuff. Yeah, you can really learn skateboard photography through this uh, platform. And like, I see Matt keeping going since all these years, you know. Is uh, Matt the one who shot the latest Closer? Yeah. Cover with uh, Louis, right? And the trash can thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've been a huge fan of Matt since that day, you know, because this is, we started in the same period of time. Yeah. I'm seeing where we went mm. and where lots of other guys went from that platform and still doing it right now. Yeah, it's rad. It's our era, you know. And so, what are the upcoming projects for Pocket? Like, you just released a Chancla video and a special issue and everything. You just talked about, like, uh, soon celebrating 50 followed pieces. What are you guys cooking? What's on your to-do list for the year 2023, let's say? Can you tell us a bit, without compromising surprises, but, like, uh, yeah, tell me, what are you guys working on? We have really cool stuff coming up. Gonna be a fun year. Now I have to see how I phrase it without giving away too much, but <laughs> also giving away enough so that it's interesting. We're working on new formats for YouTube. Okay. That are somewhat in the niche of Fallout, but different. We are working on... We're focusing a little bit more about like, you know, behind the brands. We want to show brands, like which people make the brands. We already did it with Last Resort. We did it with... Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, like more industry kind of pieces or... We also like to go visit cities for a couple certain time of days and making edits around there, you know, like basically like based on follows. So doing short days pieces and with high quality. Mm -hmm. There's a lot coming lately. We're focusing on iconic spots. We have something lined up in Bangkok, which oh, is nice. coming out pretty soon, which you probably know, which you probably know. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> if you see it, you will know 100%. I don't want to tell much right now. Yeah, But, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a super fun one. And still like pocket trips. This is one of the my most important thing I want to do, pocket trips, to countries you don't see that much. And, you know, another chunkler this year, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, we have a, one big project coming up for late summer. And I can't give away too much at this point, but it will involve filmers and skaters, pretty much the package of those two skaters. And this trickle down to a specific spot and okay, they will get to create stuff and there will be prize money and all those things. And uh, that's all I can say at this point. But uh, okay, yeah, more information soon. More information soon, yeah, when the word is ready to go out. I have just one last question for me. I usually wrap the interviews with this question, which is a very cheesy question. And it's basically, what's the most valuable lesson you guys learn from skateboarding? And when I mean well, skateboarding, it's all that goes around it, of course. If you had like one very valuable life lesson that you learned from skating, doing photography, doing pocket, working at Mosaic, whatever, is there something that comes to mind? 
I think for me, it's it comes down to skateboarding can give you the confidence to do things that are hard because skateboarding is super hard. And when you get good at skateboarding, and I don't mean GoPro, but like everybody who like learns a couple of tricks, you know, it takes a lot. Yeah. Dedication. If, you're, if you're just ollieing and or doing a grind or whatever like that already takes a lot that already takes more than a lot of people are willing to give to their craft or whatever mm. so if you if you learn that and i feel like this gives you confidence to know you can achieve the next thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the next thing and then this courage i also was able to take to concentrate on what i like doing over what I maybe was supposed to be doing because I would I don't come from a family where you would be encouraged to do something creative or something like uh, this would be considered rather crazy to go like self-employed and do a skateboard magazine yeah but I think working my way up with skateboarding and teaching realizing that I can teach myself pretty much anything I'd like to mm -hmm. gave me the confidence to just try would make me happy instead of what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Very good, yeah. What about you, Bernie? I think what skateboarding really taught me is um, to feel home everywhere I go. That's a good one, yeah. I mean, like, you know, where else you have this feeling, you know? You go into a country you've never been before. I've pretty much been in a lots of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traveling a lot in the last years. But um, it's not like going back to the same places, but it's more like going to a new place. It's your new place takes you a day or maybe like a little more than a day but then you already feel like you're back home again somewhere mm. you know and that's like i don't know which other stuff than skateboarding can give you this that you go somewhere and and you feel like you're being good hands you know yeah imagine like you know you be a, you're making a holiday for example like and you not be in any scene or anything you know you're just going to a place you've never been before and you have to find your way and you have to you know like you're doing all the tourist stuff probably you want to see that and this and this and i mean in skateboarding you go there and um you know the people who are there even you don't only know them through emails or text messages or instagram but you get there and you feel it doesn't take long to feel like you're back home and yeah It's a place you feel convenient and it uh, doesn't matter where you go. It's like, for me, it's super fast to feel in a convenient zone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you see, you know, the place where you go from that side, you wouldn't see as a tourist, you know. You get to experience a place in a very authentic way, thanks to skating. You feel like someone who lived there. Exactly. Yeah. Like a local. You feel like a local after like not more than 24 hours. Okay, let's wrap it up with the friends questions. So I have a first one here. This is an audio one. Bernie, Johannes, it's Ludi. What's up? So I was wondering, uh, when did you guys first meet? And could you maybe share like a funny story from a skate trip or anything that you guys both experienced together? Yeah, see you soon. Peace. What was that Ludi? Yeah. Yes, Dennis uh, Ludwig, right? Yeah. yeah. So... This is the trip to Croatia we ever talked about and uh, yeah. Johannes and Maxi and uh, Marcus the filmer that drove from a different side of Germany to Croatia and Norbert, me and uh, one other homie, we drove from my side to Croatia. Norbert would drive all the way from Cologne six hours to pick me up and we go the border over Austria into Slovenia and in Slovenia we got stuck for almost 12 hours at the border because they were thinking we were having drugs with us oh, and stuff okay, like okay. that. They've been searching us, they were doing the full body search i don't want oh, to describe wow. what they did you know <laughs> and that 
that's a funny thing us we we would be delayed for a day to get to Croatia and that was the first story we would be like oh yeah we got stuck on the border and they would do this and that with us and it's become just like a you know like a running gag all over the trip yeah wow that's pretty gnarly 12 hours that's uh... yeah it was there so long they came with the dogs and they were, they were search us in uh, in areas where you don't want to explain about <laughs> right now <laughs> this next one is from the guy from heck right so there's two questions. So he said, what is it like as an independent skate mag these days while living overseas? The second question is, who do you consider your competition? And is it hard to get content from US skaters at all? And he just ended by saying, love what they do. Look forward to every followed episode. Uh, that's nice. Cool to hear from them. Wow, that was a couple of questions in there. Maybe we can take one by one. Yeah. The first one was like being an independent skate mag, not in the States, basically. Maybe the main difference is that the structure in the States would be to work with brands. You would go straight to the brand and in Europe or in, in Germany, you would need to go to the distribution. Mm, yeah. And I'm happy that we are at a place where we do work with distributions, but we also do work with brands directly, like Deluxe Primitive, Nike, like a lot of brands. We work with them directly, but I think that's the major difference that in the US, you go straight to the brand. And if you are in Europe, oftentimes you are directed to the distribution who has to take care of the marketing. Right. So you are like one step further away from the brand and also from the skaters, which could take us to the second part of his question is that if it's hard to get content from US skaters. Yeah. And I wouldn't say so that it's hard because most of the times that we get content from US skaters, it's because we know them. Yeah. Or we hit them up. And I think it always comes down to the skater. And if the skater is down to do it, lucky enough, most people are down to do it, down to work with us. So I wouldn't say it's hard. I also think that we, we are in Europe, but we really try to have a, a global approach or like an approach where you can really say like where Pocket is from. I think yeah. if you ask the people on YouTube, they won't really be able to tell where we are from. And if they are guessing, I think most of the guesses would land in the wrong country. For sure. I discovered not that long ago you guys were from Germany. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's on purpose. Not because we think it's bad, but just because we think it, it shouldn't play a role where you're from in the times that we live right now. For sure. Everything is so connected and uh, so is skateboarding, which is why it doesn't really matter where you are. You can make things happen. Of course, yeah. And yeah, do you have an idea for like competition? I don't know about competition. I think everyone does his own niche and that's the most important thing. These people are famous for that, their people are known for that. You don't consider like other media necessarily competitors. Yeah. They're like just doing their thing like you're doing yours. Yeah. Yes. Everyone okay. gives a contribution to the community and shows their strength, what they are known for. You know, like you are known for to have the ability and the knowledge to do this, that yeah. you do that, you know, and it's the exactly. same, like someone works a job and I'm, I'm construction worker and I build you that house. So I build you that house, you know, but I could not do that if I don't have the knowledge. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think competitions, since I stated before that we really tried to create our own niche, so there wouldn't be something you would consider. I mean, there are for sure other magazines out there who have to live off of marketing budgets that we also have to live off. But if you don't copy what the other person is doing and everybody has their own way of doing things, I don't think competition is really a fitting word for it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Bernie sure. said, it all comes down and it all combines into one thing and we're all contributing to skateboard media and uh, to the culture. Sometimes, you know, like this media is known to show the best parts, you know, this media is known to show the best photos, this media is known to show that, you know, then you pick your source for what you want to see. Sure. Every single contribution to skateboarding is different and it uh, combines everything to a wonderful world. Yeah, and if we see good content from other skateboard magazines, like we are hyped. Yeah, you're not bummed. You're not like, shit, I wish I had done that. Yeah, of course, sometimes like, oh, fuck, we had this idea too. We should have oh, yeah. gone <laughs> for it. But then that's more on a like creative part, you know? Sure. In the end, I'm still super hyped to see it, you know? This next question is from Marek uh, Zaprasny. Is that how you wow. say his name? <laughs> So he said, when was the very first time you guys thought about running a magazine and how hard was it to start it out? We kind of talked about this earlier, yeah. but uh, like we didn't really mention how hard it was, perhaps the difficulty of starting it. Like, do you guys want to maybe say a word about that? Sharing the idea and sharing the name and sharing what we're going to do was a big step, definitely for me. Yeah, that was probably the hardest. Because I'm shooting freelance for lots of magazines at that time and then like sharing that I stopped my own You were thing. doing your own thing? Maybe some people would think like, oh damn, this guy is crazy, you know, <laughs> what is he doing, you know, but... Did you have any like uh, negative feedback from magazines you were working with that kind of didn't see it well? Like you're going to start a competition basically or were they kind of cool with it? Not really sure. You can only know what you can feel by seeing people after it again. But yeah, I think there was definitely a little bit of a, wow, okay, is this going to work or not? I don't know what this guy is doing. Okay. Let's do the next one. Let's see. This one is an audio one. Johannes, John here. First off, I want to take this opportunity to thank you. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and with pockets and the way you've portrayed our work and school and work with our students. It's really meant a lot to us this year. I do have a question for you. You're the owner of a beautiful white German shepherd, Nala. And I'm curious to know how your skills in raising a dog has helped you in the way you work with skateboarders. What do those two have in common? Curious to know. Hope to see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Oh, wow. <laughs> John, yeah. I love John. And I can only give it back. Like, it was such a precious time for me out in Malmö. And it was such a great experience. And inspiring is an understatement. And I definitely want to come back and do more. More projects with them. With John and, yeah, and, uh, and the school. And to the question, I don't know. <laughs> Let me think. He said, uh, like, raising my white shepherd compared to, like, working with skaters? Yeah, yeah, that was the question, basically. I know, feeding them and petting them. <laughs> um, I guess patience and uh, remaining calm. And uh, I think if it's one thing, and if I compare it to filming a fallout and training a dog, you have to carry the right energy with you. Mm -hmm. So the dog is going to read your energy. And if you film with someone, he or she is going to read your energy too. So you have to be in a positive and open energy. And um, when I film them, I like to make people comfortable. You know, I like to express my interest and like love and be friendly, but authentically friendly. Mm. So I guess that's a parallel you could draw. Okay. 
Yeah, our dogs are now very good friends, <laughs> John and, and my dog. So when I went to Malmö to film this, I brought my whole family along. Oh, okay. We stayed in Malmö, yeah, my, uh, my wife, my son and, and my dog. And in the mornings, nice. uh, John and I would walk our dogs together. Yeah, was is really, it the same race really of dogs time. that he has? He has like a funny dog that stands up on his like Instagram stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it's no, it's super sick. No, it's a different. It's a basically like a German Shepherd but white. Okay. Yeah, but completely white. His dog is hilarious. Every time he shares a story of him, I'm like laughing. Yeah. Yeah, he really does that all the time. Like the standing straight up. Does he actually Iconic. like stay in that position, or is it yeah, just like some, a, a second? For some while, yeah. He he's like watching out. <laughs> like looking for stuff oh what's back there and then he just gets up like that yeah, looks so funny yeah it's hilarious. super nice dog too you know just carries the same energy as john just super nice and positive yeah john also has a same vibes as chet tim tim you know just a guy you want to be around all the time for sure yeah yeah shout out john yep shout out thank you john okay this one is uh from i'm gonna butcher his name and i'm very sorry but it's uh, jorge simoes Yeah. Yeah, George Simos. Jorge Simos. George Jorge. George. <laughs> yeah. So he has a question for both of you. For Bernie, he said Aperol or cigars? Cigars or cigarettes? I mean, cigars, right? Cigars? Nah, no, no, no cigars. No cigars. I drink Aperol. So Aperol. Okay. Aperol, yeah. And he, he asked for Johannes, what's your favorite skate spot? <laughs> favorite skate spot? It's going to be tough mm. to say just one, but yeah. You know what? I'm going to say... Um, It's somewhat of a spot. I wouldn't say a skate park, somewhat in between, but I would say Born Plaza in, in Barcelona. It has everything I need to have fun. Like great flat ground, many pads, ledges. That's what I really like to skate. And um, they did a, an amazing job, Akaya, to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Born Plaza in Barcelona. All right. This next one is from Alex Masotti. <laughs> Masotti? <yeah. laughs> this one is for you, Bernie, actually. So he asked Bernie, how was staying on a place for everybody crew home on the last mission days for the video? So a place for everybody was a video you guys worked on a few years back, right? A place for everybody was the video from people from Brazil living in Barcelona and people also coming to visit Barcelona from Brazil and also a couple of Spanish skaters, mm -hmm. you know, like to combine it, like the title. Marcos de Salsa made the video, he's from Brazil, and uh, this was the Brazilian people's living in Barcelona video came out in 2010, and I stayed in Barcelona from 2007-2010 and almost went on every session of this video, mm. and uh, yeah, the last filming days, they just got, you know, hammers on hammers and hammers, and uh, it's sick, I just posted a photo of Alex Masocci on Instagram doing a nollie back 180 in Badalona. And, I saw uh, that, yeah. It not got landed, but he went there three times in a row. And it was kind of funny to stand on. It's a huge climb up on that thing, you know, and holding a... I was shooting with the camera on film and, um, you know, holding the camera with a mirror reverse. The camera is like mirror reverse, so you see side reverse, the view how you shoot. And yep. standing on that huge point shooting him, that was definitely a funny one. But what was the question again? So it was basically how was staying on a place for everybody crew home. So I guess like, did you have like a place where you guys stayed all together while you were filming? Yeah, we stayed, we stayed at Plaza Sons at okay. Marcus' apartment. I mean, right. lots of the people live in different, but I, I've been staying with Marcus, with the filmer at Plaza Sons. 
The video means a lot for me and um, the Brazilian culture of skateboarding too. I mean, I've skated with a lot of uh, Brazilian skateboarders and people from Brazil are right now top pros. But before that, you know, I see them coming to Barcelona, trying to make their way in skateboarding. You know, Brazilian for me is like one of the best skateboarding in the world. And, uh, oh, yeah. The duration is so deep and the heart is so big. And that's why you maybe see also in Pocket that there's lots of Brazilian skateboarding. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it's, it's so hard for them to get out of their Brazilian world, you know what I mean? To show their skateboarding on, on international standard. Yeah. If you skateboard from Brazil and make it, it's so hard. Skateboarding, the gear, the hardware, everything in Brazil is so expensive. Every time I go to Brazil, I bring like 20 sheets of crypto, I bring hardware, I bring trucks, I bring everything because everything there is hard to afford. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The heart is super big and then I've been skateboarding with people from Brazil for all my life. Okay, so I'm going to butcher his name again, but this one is someone I hope to get on the podcast sometime soon as well. It's Tor Strom. Wow, Tor. I don't know if he's from Sweden, but he went to Brigeriet. From Sweden, yeah. Yeah, he's from Sweden, okay. Thousand Grills on Instagram, Rad Filmer. So he said, Pocket Mag is not like a regular magazine. There isn't a monthly issue, and you guys take more time to make a magazine slash book. How come you guys chose that approach, and what's the reason behind it? So again, that's something we kind of touched on earlier, but uh, yeah, do you guys want to maybe develop a bit more on this? I think, uh, yeah, we touched on it, on like making our own niche and doing, doing our own concept. But on the other hand, it's also, it's a lot of work to mm. do it. And if we were to do this every month or every other month, like not even talking about printing costs and it being hard to afford, we would not have the time to do all the other stuff we do the way we do it. So we really like to take our time and we don't have too strict deadlines. We pretty much, when it's ready, it's ready. Yeah. We know roughly the week and then when we get closer, we organize with the printer. Bernie organizes with the printer. I always go to the printer. I go every time we print, I go to the printer. I see this stuff every time by myself because there is not only the way you do the CMYK and stuff like that on InDesign. There's the way of manual adjust the colors with the printer who prints the magazine itself. Then you say, oh, this needs a little bit more cyan. This needs a little bit more yellow. This needs a little bit less black. That needs a little bit more, you know, magenta. So I go to every print session we have and like adjust the spreads, the offset spreads we do everything manually it's super important for me to have that quality going otherwise they would only print in the standard way you know and then like the standard way you know it's not like the proof you get it's gonna be a little a little off so yeah, yeah, yeah i always like to see it myself and that's why i think the quality of pocket books is also on a high print do you print them in germany i print germany yeah the printers is 30 minutes from my house so i easily go there and i spent there like seven hours print the stuff and like and i like to see it it means printing right These yeah, yeah. Photos printed. It's, it's the last phase it's your baby coming to life yeah it's always the highlight i also add something that our pocket trips should be something special and i've been to many many skate trips 
really where we always have to skate 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 and the only thing you have to do is to serve your dinner you know what i mean something like that you know it's like a little bit hard to say but for me skate trips are so much more you know i'm organizing these trips we're going there but it's not only about skateboarding get the tricks and do like this it's also about i want to do fun stuff you know i want to mm. see something of the culture where i'm going i want to see like oh wow this country is like uh, famous for that Let, let's go visit this you know let's go visit <laughs> the etna volcano in sicily you know yeah. I mean, let's do this you know i mean like you're already there it's only a 30 minutes drive with the van you know just make a little bit of sightseeing and this is important for me in skateboarding that that like people are taking on a trip i mean i'm 36 years old and i feel i'm also in a position to show younger generations a little bit of history at least to not show them only skateboards and where they can make their tricks yeah. to, to to also show them like yeah this happened there outside of skateboard history oh this is this building you know what i mean i really like to do this stuff to to give a little you know not be a history teacher but i'm saying to uh, to show a little bit of stuff and also doing fun stuff you know on the last trips we go go-kart driving we go jet ski driving because malaga is so it's a it's a holiday district you know mm. i like to have like also stuff you can take back home you know what i mean and, and also remember beside the skateboarding you did right that's literally for the books right to do stuff like that sure sure absolutely it's not like, you know, like just going on a skate trip, you do the tricks and do the edit and it's super banging, super cool. But you also take back home, like, you know, the stuff which the place you're going to is famous for. Okay, let's see. Yo, what up, guys? Nico here from Irregular Skate Mac. Gotti and Fabi are saying hello as well. Um, we got two questions for you guys. First of all, Bernie, what's the most Aperol Spritz you ever drank in one day? Is there any records known to mankind or something like that? And uh, second, since you've both been working with Bennett Ram for quite a while now, who's uh, not only an amazing film and editor, but who's also ripping on the board, we were wondering if you guys ever considered pushing him or maybe even contractually obliging him or something to film a video part. And uh, if he ever puts one out, how would you celebrate it? Would it be just another birthday party or would you guys uh, would you guys consider lining up something even bigger? Anyways, we hope you had a great time with Quentin and uh, keep up the good work, guys, and uh, hope to see you sometime soon. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So I'm going to the Bennett's birthday thing. This, become, this is a running gag because it comes through the Brazilians. So we always celebrate birthday and we go to the restaurant. We have free shots. <laughs> We're around <laughs> free shots. It's nobody's birthday. birthday. It's just like, you know, it's a fun thing. You go into a restaurant, have a dinner in the night, and then happy birthday. Oh, okay. Everyone sings, <laughs> the whole restaurant sings, and sometimes they bring the free shots. It's just a fun thing, you know? Okay. Sing on the streets. So it becomes like Bennett has birthday every trip, actually. So it's Bennett's birthday. And we got these free shots. That was funny. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Bennett's skating is incredible. So are you guys uh, pushing him to film a video part, or...? If you're down to do, for sure. Like, we're ready. I'm down. 100%. He was always pretty good at skating, but he, I think he got really inspired from skating with pros mm -hmm. and seeing, like, transition skating, like seeing Grant Taylor skate transition. So he got much better in transition skating, too. Mm -hmm. So if he ever wants to drop apart, say no more. Going to be a celebration. But what's, what's the first question of Nico? It was, uh, what's the most Aperol spritz you drank in one day? I don't know. Depends. Maybe seven, maybe eight. I, I have no idea, but I don't think more than seven. The stuff is so sweet and... Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you get tired of it after a while, I guess. Yeah. 
It gets you a headache in the night. It's some really headache stuff. So <laughs> it's cool to have four or five, and then you switch it on another drink. You know, mm. like maybe three is already enough, but more than three, I mean. Okay, this next question is from Maxi Scheibel. Wow. Oh, wow, Maxi Scheibel, yeah. So this one is for Bernie. He said, have you ever had paranoia about forgetting your backpack at home? And did you ever ask yourself if your tripods are in the trunk? The tripod thing is always my thing. I don't know, like, I have a tripod bag and, uh, and it goes so quickly, everything in the trunk. You, you finish up, you wrap it up, you put it in the trunk and then like, I'm usually the van driver and everyone is in, let's go, let's go next spot. And then like, after 10 minutes, it's always my casual question. Is my bag in the trunk? Is my tripod in the trunk? <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's something on it. But uh, I had my gear almost stolen before in Barcelona, so I know how it feels. Oh yeah, that must suck for sure. Yeah. So he asked Johannes, is it true that you were the leader of the stinky leg tray flip movement in German skate forums on the internet? <laughs> That's a heavy one. <laughs> yeah, I'm guilty of uh, trying to perfect the stinky leg tray flip for sure. That used to be a thing back then. Yeah. And uh, I really liked how that looked, to be honest. And I was trying to look for videos of people doing it, like Furby, oh, a yeah. crazy one over that one pyramid. Mm -hmm. For some time, I was like really, really hyped on doing that. Funny he brings that up. All right. So this next one is from Roar Kolnes. I'm not sure how to say his name. Roar. Roar from Stavanger. Yes. So he said, if you didn't have to sleep, what would you do with the extra time? For sure, take more time off during the day, mm -hmm. but also make even more stuff happen. Probably edit more videos. What about you, Bernie? Do you have uh, something in mind that you would do if you didn't have to sleep? I would try to sleep, maybe. Sleep is important. <laughs> you need it. It is. It really you is. <laughs> maybe hang, hang on Slap and read Slap form. <laughs> I don't know. I would watch a eight-hour black screen in 4K on YouTube. <laughs> you know, they have those black screen videos if you want to download something and you don't want your computer to go on sleep mode. Oh, yeah. And then just watch that and just see what happens. So we mentioned this guy a lot throughout our interview, Bennett Ram. He asked, ask Bernie when he did his last heel flip. It is so sick whenever he does one. <laughs> Annual heel flip. Annual heel flip. I do actually once a year a heel flip. <laughs> I don't know, last one, last week in Barcelona. Do you have footage to prove it or? Nah, but it's always people ask me, yeah, Bernie, do a heel flip. My hips actually look good. It's not like, um, yeah, you know, Bernie has proper heel flip for sure. Better than mine. It's kind of funny, you know, because when I learned skateboarding, I didn't know what is a kickflip and a heel flip. I just know the rotation. Oh yeah. And I didn't know how to do the rotation. You know, if you flick it from the left side or you heal it out, you know, like it's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. for me was a rotation. I just tried to flip the board. I didn't have someone, you know, I mean, like... Tell you that that's like a heel rotation of the border, yeah. Just flip the board was for me. Right, yeah, yeah. Let's see. I have a few last ones. This one is from Andrew Verde. So the first one is, when you were kids, what was your dream job? What were you into? Number two is, did you see yourself where you are now? At what point did you guys realize shooting photos and having a magazine was an option? And then the last one is, is there somewhere we can see clips of Bernie skating? Four. Clips of Bernie skating, uh, if I have the time and find a camcorder and a cable, a firewire cable, I can put up the first video. Mm -hmm. But it's not on YouTube, I could put it up. Not on Pocket, but I can, you know, I can share a link. Sure, yeah, that and, would be cool. Uh, 
dream job for me. Pilot, so I was always inspired on this. I never was good in math, never was good in physics, never made it through that, but uh, what was inquired to do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm playing Microsoft Flight Simulator till now. Oh yeah, okay. I'm pretty good at it actually. <laughs> cool. I always wanted to be a pilot. Well, it's never too late. Nah, Maybe. No, 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 no. <laughs> so the years to flight school become a pilot, have no degree with about, about that stuff, no. Well, maybe all the years of playing flight simulator can be used as experience to become a pilot. Who knows? Maybe in an emergent situation, I would be able to land the plane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather not be on that plane, though, but yeah. <laughs> I hope no one's going to be on a plane which is on this situation. <laughs> I think the only thing I want to do when this situation is happening is light up a cigarette and just enjoy the last moments. What about you, Johannes? Did you have like a dream job when you were a kid uh, that was different from uh, Pocket Skate Mag? So not really in a sense that I think as a kid, I was pretty much thinking in like very standard categories of jobs mm -hmm. and nothing really seemed really appealing to me. But funny enough, as a kid, as a young teenager, I was doing similar stuff than this. We had a little skate magazine back then. Mm -hmm with some friends called uh, Rollbrett Skate Mag. Rollbrett is uh, pretty much means skateboard in, in German. A friend of mine started and I joined and he actually also had one print version that they like printed out with like a, the printer at home and it was available at the local skate shop. And then we did the website, he did the website and then we did videos together, filmed on the weekends and we would edit like little, little montage. So that's really not too far away from what we do now. So back then I would never have thought that this is somewhat of a, a job perspective, but mm. Turns out what I do these days is not too far away. Yeah, yeah. And um, also shout out to my friend who I, we did it with a couple of friends, but really the force behind it was uh, Jonas Lindström. And he, he went on to be uh, like a great director. Oh. He directed uh, music videos for Kendrick Lamar. Oh, wow. And other like huge names and like huge campaigns and everything. So yeah, we used to do that in our teen years. Okay, I have one last audio question. Yo, Bernie, first of all, uh, I have to call you next time I'm coming back to Straubing to go skate. I was skating the, the skate park they have in the, uh, at Hagen uh, in, the, in the hall. Uh, yeah, we have to do it next time I'm there together. I wasn't staying for, for long enough, but yeah, uh, next time we'll do. Or skate outside if the sun is there already. And uh, yeah, my question would be, what do you think, you and me, and also Jochen Bauer, who's living kind of close by, well, did we get into magazines? Because there was no nothing happening, no industry in our area of Germany. You think it was because of that? Because we had to read magazines to, to get to know what's up and nothing was happening and that was, that sparked it? Did you hear that okay? Or? I hear it okay. I was just thinking, who is, who is him? That was uh, Stefan Schwinghammer from uh, Solo. Stefan Schwinghammer, crazy yes. man. So Stefan and me, Stefan is older than me. When I got into the skate park in Straubing, mm -hmm. he's from a city called Menkofen. It's a village, which is um, yeah, it's 20 minutes from my city. But my city got the better skate park. And we would um, always meet every weekend or during the week. And he's four, five years older than me. But I've uh, been looking up to him, you know. He's one of the skaters, you know, like who already ripped and like, you know, inspired. You know, like when I, when mm. I started skateboarding at the skate park. That's funny, right? That both of us, you know, like kind of come from the same skate scene. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And you, you both 
ended up doing skateboarding media. Yeah, see? Always when we meet together, we talk about that, you know. It's crazy, like, we literally come from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's unbelievable to see where we are right now. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But, but yeah, of course, I mean, there was nothing around, you know, like, picking up the Skateboard magazine and reading it and trying. If you wanted to be part of this, you you worked your way out to, got your vision to learn and give all your motivation and power you had, your inspiration to become a part of this. So, yeah. Mm. I mean, I think it belongs to everyone who grows up with, uh, you know, like you could have been in Berlin and you grew up skating in Berlin, but you do you know, all the best skateboarders around, you know, and like, but where we are grew up is people who have been spinning the medias to see, you know, this were far away from us. We worked our way out. Yeah, 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 we definitely did. Because we wanted to have it that way, you know, we always, we wanted to, to be a part of a skateboard media, skateboard culture, not only local scene. Okay, this one is from Anthony Claraval. We mentioned him a bunch of times. So Anthony said, Bernie's biggest influence in photography is Oliver Barton. What about his style that he liked so much? How was it being able to work with Oliver all these years later? I mean, obviously, first in touch I got in magazines with the local media, right? That's what you see in newsstands. And then, you know, you, you work your way out, as we say, it's that I want to see, like, you know, there is this favorite skate clips. Who is their photographer? So you're researching it. Transworld is always my favorite magazine. Yeah, yeah. It's always inspired me in every way, in videos, what they did. Mm -hmm. And in the magazine itself, the photographers. So yeah, for sure, Oliver, Oliver's photos are always outstanding. You know, the way how close he goes with the fisheye, the way he lights up the photos, the colors on film and the colors even right now in digital, everything. You know, like, mm. so. But definitely, you know, Oliver was one of the guys when I was young and I didn't know, know what cameras are they using and didn't know there was a Hasselblad, this was medium format, what film it is, what flashes they're using. Oliver's photos was the photos that was, wow, crazy. And one day I want to be shoot a photo exactly like him, you know, like yeah. the contrast, the composition, the lightning of the, of the flashes and everything, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. But how was it getting to work with him? I mean, social media came up, you know, then Instagram, right? Like, you, everyone recognizes anyone, you know. Then you get in touch with it, you can message him, you know. Like, you know, one day he starts following me. I was like, wow, Oliver Barton follows me. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> wow. You know, it was sick. And um, he become brand manager, brand director for Primitive Skate. Marketing manager. Then, uh, you know, during the Encore video process, he hired me on a few trips. So one of them was uh, the Anders mission trip with uh, Tiago, Frankie and, uh, and Giovanni to New York. This was probably one of my best trips in my life. I mean, I never got to shoot a video ender, you know. And then I got to shoot uh, Tiago, Nolly 50 in New York at Chinatown Rail, which oh, yeah. became the end of the video and I got to shoot a photo of it. I think this is one of my biggest moments for me in, in my career, you know, to get to shoot a photo of uh, someone doing an ender of a huge video. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the last part of the video and it was the ender, the last trick of that entire full length. So yeah. that only I have to thank Oliver for, that mm -hmm. he trusted me, that he chose me in his position because there were so many trips going on at the same time. They would go to Portugal, they would go to there, there, you know, and, uh, and he needed someone on that trip, you know, who could do the job the same way, you know, as he would do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I appreciate the law. He's my favorite photographer, so special moment. He's an awesome human being too. He's the best. Anthony also asked for you, Bernie. He said, Bernie once said, if Jamie Thomas ever follows me on Instagram, I know I made it. So his question is, did Jamie ever follow you? Okay. <laughs> 
In 2011, Anthony and me went on a King of the Road China. There was a King of the Road edition in China. Oh, okay. And me and Anthony, I was photographer, he was a filmer, we went on the team. And that's when Instagram just came out. So we downloaded the app, we registered, and like, you know, I think Anthony already had it. I was later than him. He already had it when we were in China. Mm -hmm. And I think I downloaded in China. And it was funny because now I think... Did Instagram get banned in China? I don't know. But I could download it there. Maybe it was Facebook. Facebook was not accessible in China. Yeah. Instagram was not owned by Facebook back then. It was yeah, the that was thing. before, yeah. So yeah, I downloaded Facebook in China and then like Anthony already had it like for a couple of months and he, he told me like, you made it on Instagram and Jamie Thomas followed you. Well, a couple of years later, he was in <laughs> Berlin with Jamie and he starts following me. And I remember that, damn, Jamie Thomas follows me. Yes. I made it, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like become like a gag, you know? <laughs> That's funny. That's actually a good transition for the very last question. You just mentioned King of the Road. This last question is from Michael Burnett. Michael Burnett asked a question. Wow. Yep. So he said, pound for pound, who is the greatest and most influential non-UK Euro skater of all time? Euro non-UK. Non-UK. I have a few people in France that I can think of. Yeah, yeah, Francis, JB. And it could be many. It's is Flo Marfeng, JP, Bigger van Wageningen, and it could be a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. Lucas Puig. Lucas, Lucas Puig, Puig, for sure. Salabansi. Mm -hmm. Salabansi, I thought too, yeah. Javi Samento, Daniel Lebron, there's so many. Yeah. You know what? I think I think there's an argument for Pontus. Most influential, definitely, yes, yes. Yeah. For Pontus, like if you talk about influential, you know, we are maybe thinking of like skate legacy in terms of like tricks and video parts and covers. And he for sure has great videos and photos out there. But influential, I think the one I'm going with is Pontus. Yeah, just the way he pretty much shaped how the regular skater looks these days. You know, for sure. he makes the pants and in some cases also the shoes and in some cases also the boards. So. Yeah. My one for influential is Pontosav. That's a very good one, yeah. Well, yeah, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much, guys. No, thank you. Thank you for having oh, us. My pleasure, absolutely. That's it for my conversation with Johannes and Bernie. Follow Johannes on Instagram at schönjohannes, S-C-H-O-E-N-J-O-H-A-N-N-E-S, Bernie at Bernie Diego, and PocketSkateMag at PocketSkateMag. Go visit PocketSkateMag.com to watch all of the amazing content they've been putting out over the last six years, particularly the followed pieces, and while you're on there, get your hands on some of their hardcover books. Thank you for tuning in, see you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards. Beyond Boards